me how to say ladies and gentlemen in gender neutral terms. Hey yo. Hey yo. Hey yo. All right, you guys, podcast time. We got the equipment and the perfect business plan. Give our show away for free and tell no one how to find it. Ready? Get in there. You will deal with that Atlas harshly. Fight forever, Guardian. I think he broke it. Look what you made me do! And you're listening to Hell in a Cell Radio. The Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Hell in a Cell Radio. Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. need another hero Mm-mm-mm. and usually it's a happy occasion well it's a happy it's an occasion on the show and this week it just isn't uh we've a lot of things to talk about we have a lot of historian stuff to catch up on um and now that i've said that i didn't tell craig i didn't remember what order i told craig we were going in historian into superstar um so yes we don't need another hero um Especially after the last week, we just simply don't, and it certainly won't be. Yes. I can't say that name, because uh, I was told not to. Anyway, Mr. Lagans, we have a lot to catch up on. It's been a busy month, and then we, we had to take it. It's working out monthly. It's supposed to be bi-weekly. <laughs> I think what I'm going to do is we're just going to do a show again next week, so I can get back onto the one podcast night a week. Um, yeah. Take it away, boss. Thank you, uh, Dan. Wonderful to be back with you again uh, on our show of shows. Uh, this is HIAC Talk Radio. It, it's been a hell of a week, uh, days that feel like weeks, and it's been a hell of a month. And uh, the month of May in wrestling history is, as it turns out, to be very historic. So we're going to cover most of the month of May uh, so far as we're in the last week of May, but so many amazing things happened during this month. And uh, usually I, I can just rattle off or doing, but I'm just going to just get my pad and notes. I'm just going to read off of them because there's so much Good happening. Uh, May 2nd, uh, ha- uh, happy belated 51st birthday to uh, some would say is the most popular rest of all time, even right now. Um, but Obviously, the most successful professional wrestler outside of wrestling. Happy 51st birthday to third-generation superstar Dwayne Johnson, who was born May 2nd. So happy belated birthday. Also, happy posthumous birthday uh, to the big boss man, Ray Trailer. What are you going to say, Dan? I was going to say, The Rock's birthday is May 2nd, you son of a bitch. I, I, I did say that. Because we're going over the whole month of May, so we have to go back in order to go forward. So yeah, but did you say did you say the line from the sketch? What was the line from the sketch? The Rock's birthday is May second. You dumb son of a bitch. To Mick Foley during the oh, like the Rock's birthday is May second. You dumb son of a bitch. Yeah, that's what I was quoting. I wasn't. I wasn't correcting you. I was. I I was adding the line. No, no, no. We've been gone for so long, Dan. I know you've built up a lot of resentment, so I figured that was that was. Da, 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 hey, da, 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 da. hey, we're good at this. We're professionals. <laughs> been off for a while, but the Rock's birthday is May second. You dumb son of a bitch. I am tired. 
excellent was um uh May 3rd um of this month, uh, May 3rd, 1993. It's hard to believe it's 30 years ago. Uh that uh Hulk Hogan, of all people, had an incredible wrestling match in the Fukuoka Dome in front of 55,000 people for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship against the Great Muda. Well, I mean, it was against the Great Muda. Yeah, but you, but in this match, Dan, you saw Hogan wrestling. No, no, I, yeah, yeah, I, re, I, I just watched it again recently, and it's like, man, when he, who's when he really guy? tries, man, <laughs> yeah, who the fuck, who's this guy? And this is 1993, Hogan. This is like eight years after the beginning of Hulkamania and after his great AWA run, but he's doing drop toe holes, he's doing hammerlock takeovers. And it's got one of my favorite clotheslines ever. The longest running clothesline in professional wrestling history. Great, the great Muda looked like he ran the length of an entire American football field to give a clothesline to Hulk Hogan. <laughs> it's for a clothesline. Whenever people talk about people waiting or looks like you're setting up for the, the first thing that pops in my head is this goddamn clothesline. <laughs> Because Mood is in good shape in 93, but yes. still, well, he's, he was always in great shape, mostly like 98% of his career. Mm. But it's still the ramp that goes yes. down to Tokyo. To, and he's he just running, you know, bad knees and all. And uh, uh yeah, it, the longest running club, but that was in uh May 2nd, uh 1993 in uh in the Fukuoka Dome, 55,000. And that was also after the match where Hogan his infamous press conference that was never aired in the WWE, but it was picked up by all the wrestling magazines. He called the WWE belt that he was wearing and he was champion at the time. He said that was a toy compared to the IWGP belt. He said that was a real championship. This was oh, in pro wrestling. I don't remember that. At oh, all. this was at the cover of the Wrestling Inquirer. This is on Pro Wrestling oh, Illustrated. Oh, yes, he said this belt. He held the WWE belt. Said this is a toy compared to the IWGP belt that the Great Muda had held. So, you know, just he take he takes fourteen feet and gives one back. Yeah, that was that, yeah. that was May third, nineteen ninety three. It's thirty years ago this month. Uh, May 3rd, 1998. I still can't believe this. This is 25 years ago. 25 years ago this month um, at a house show in Hamilton, Ontario. Um, a WWE house show. Adam Copeland defeated Christian Cage in both of their first match in each of their first matches ever. My, how the turns of table. Yeah. My, how the turntables have turned. Turn the table turns. the. It's like sand through the hourglass. <laughs> and so are the days of our lives. Uh, but, but yeah, 25 years ago this month, uh, both Edge and Christian uh, started their wrestling careers. Um, and as luck would have it, they're still. They're still wrestling. They're 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 in different places, but you know yeah. they're still wrestling. One would we would argue one probably shouldn't be, but yeah, man is in control of his own destiny. That's just what, my opinion. Please don't hurt me, Mister Copeland. One would argue both shouldn't be, but here well, we are. 
Christian had, I would argue, he doesn't have the best theme music ever. However, he has the best switch of theme music ever when he first went heel against his brother. And it's got that big Italian operatic. Christian, it's still, it's still one of the funniest uh, bits. I, I, lo- I love that song. It, we reference it all the time at home. When Jericho first feuded with Christian, that was the first thing he made fun of was Christian's theme song. But uh, what Adam Copeland and Christian Cage did do, along with David Heath, who helped mentor them and guide them, uh, those three created the single best ring entrance um, of anyone during the Attitude Era. The ring entrance, the song, I Will Die on This Hill, uh, of all the great entrances, of all the great factions that never get enough credit. And had they, even right now, were the, you know, the WWE is faction crazy, uh, just like they were 20 years ago. But The Brood will always be um, one of my favorite factions of all time. Put the Freebirds, uh, the original Legion, uh, the Freebirds, the Varsity Club, the Horsemen and the Brood are my favorite factions of all time. Honestly, um, the music, the entrance, uh, but it started with uh, Edge and Christian a May 3rd, 1998, 25 years ago. Uh, May 4th, um, this is the year after Hulk Hogan wrestled at the uh, Fukuoka Dome. Uh, they went back there in 94, but instead the headliner was uh, Sting, uh, the WCW International Heavyweight Championship, uh, the belt that he lost to Rick Rude. Unfortunately, that would also be the last match in Rick Rude's career. This was the match where Rude, unfortunately, uh, suffered a neck injury and would never wrestle again. So while it was historic in front of 53,000 people, May 4th, 1994, it would also mark the end of the wrestling career of Rick Rude, which is still uh, tragic. Rick Rude still, as we can see, as we later saw uh, for the rest of his career, still had a lot to offer uh, both companies. In fact, all three companies on one night. But... Uh, the wrestling career uh, that of Rick Rude would end May 4th, 1994. May 6th, big, huge day in wrestling history. Huge. May 6th, 1984, Dan, all this happened on one day, on the same day. Uh, in the AWA, in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Uh, the Crusher and Baron Brown Rashke both in their 50s, defeated Crusher, Jerry Blackwell, and Ken Patera for the AWA Tag Team Championship. Miles over in the South, in Atlanta, King Kong Bundy and the Masked Superstar defeated the Road Warriors for the NWA National Heavyweight Championship. They took the belt off the Road Warriors because the Road Warriors are heading to the AWA. And on that same day, go from Green Bay in the AWA to Atlanta with Georgia Championship Wrestling, 
to Texas Stadium, May 6th, 1984, 43,000, sorry, 44,017 in Texas Stadium for the first David Von Erich Memorial Parade of Champions, where Ric Flair defending the NWA Heavyweight Championship, lo, he walked through the valley of the shadow of the Von Erichs. He walked into Texas Stadium, the champion, and would leave without the belt as Kerry Von Erich would defeat Ric Flair with, of all things, a backslide to become the NWA Heavyweight Champion. And uh, it was then the largest crowd in the history of North America to see a wrestling match. But it happened May 6th, 1984. Uh, uh, I just, I, whatever, what always, it doesn't get me like, yeah, I gotcha. Uh, what always is interesting about that is like, didn't they have a parade of champions because of someone's death? Like, Every year after it, every year the crowd dwindled and dwindled. Like, oh god, I can't do this anymore. It was the David, uh, still David had passed away in February of that year, uh, two months earlier, uh, three months earlier. Um, the plan was, uh, since David had already pinned Ric Flair at the annual Christmas show at Reunion Arena. He pinned Ric Flair twice on that card, setting up a parade of cha uh, champions in uh, at Texas Stadium for that May. And parade of champions was because of the plethora of belts that World Class had. You had the World Class Heavyweight Champion, the American Heavyweight Champion, the World Class Tag Team Champions, the newly created World Class Six Man Tag Team Champions to. Uh, to give some gravitas to the Freebird Von Erich feud that was red hot at the time. So they created a six-man belt. So those, all those belts would be defended at Texas Stadium with the main event being David Von Erich versus Ric Flair. David, um, of all the Von Erichs, um, had the best head for business. Uh, Kevin was the best athlete. He was the oldest, had the best, was the best athlete. Carrie obviously had the look, the physique, the charisma, um, and custom made for MTV at the time. He looked like, if he didn't know who he was, you would think he was a rock star. Dude, um, was, dude was huge, too. Dude, and he was, yeah, and cut. Uh, but David uh, was the best worker, uh, had the best psychology, um, and the best head for the business. Uh one of them was going to inherit the business, and by all intents and purposes, it was going to be David um, to run world class after Fritz um, was gone. And uh, he was someone that Flair, um, Harley Race, the NWA, because uh, Fritz Von Erich, former NWA president, still had a lot of pull with the NWA, and that one of his sons was going to be the NWA champion. Fritz was denied being an NWA champion. Uh, during his career, he was the AWA champion, but always felt he should have gotten a fair shot at being the NWA champion. He never got it, but he was dead set on one of his sons being NWA champion. And because of Fritz's good standing in the NWA, that was going to happen. Uh, the NWA, as long as always rewarded their, uh, their the best promoters, the best people in the NWA, Eddie Graham, 
when Dusty Rhodes became NWA champion, uh, Jim Barnett in Georgia when Tommy Rich became NWA champion. So uh, with Fritz, it was a no-brainer that David would be NWA champion. Um, how long a run he would get uh, would be determined, but um, from his brief career, David was sent to Florida to be to work as a heel uh, under Dory Funk Jr., Fritz's old friend, and you know Funk, the Funks and the Von Erichs have a long history in Texas. And David worked heel in Florida, and he was great at it. Um, great at at the interviews. They have the other thing. Dave had the best promo. Dave could give a fiery promo. Kevin was very quiet, still very quiet. Carrie was just cool, laid back. But David could get in. If you ever seen old David Von Erich promo. He would get in your face and yell, and and he could back it up in the ring. He could face any style, and at David Von Erich being six foot seven, let's not forget that he could work with anyone. Not everyone who's six foot seven can work with everybody, uh, but David could. Unfortunately, when he he died in February of that year, and the Parade of Champions was turned into the David Von Erich Memorial Parade of Champions. Uh, and to your point, Dan. The next year was still called the David Von Erich um, Parade of Champions in 86. Uh, in 87, uh, Mike had passed. So then it became the David and Mike Von Erich Parade of Champions. Uh, and the the attendance, uh, like I said, in May 6, 1984, 44,000. The very next year in 1985, Kevin versus Ric Flair, 33,000. The next year... No NWA champion, their world classic had left uh, 26,000. And the final one uh, did about 5,000 uh, people at Texas Stadium. Um, we'll go into the demise of world class at, an, at another date. But for this moment, May 6, 1984, the center of the wrestling universe was Texas Stadium. And Kerry Von Erich became the NWA heavyweight champion. Unbelievable. And those other titles that took place, that title changes that took place in Atlanta and in Green Bay. So the NWA, Georgia Championship Wrestling, and the AWA wrestling as a whole in 1984 was red hot. Uh, and I noticed I didn't mention any WWF shows because those how that's how big wrestling was then on May 6, 1984. Uh, something else happened on May 6th. 2002, hard to believe it's been 21 years, but 21 years ago on May 6th was the accursed, legendary, only known as The Flight. Or as I like to call, or as I unfortunately call it, uh, Ric Flair got away with sexual assault for the one millionth time flight. Yes. Uh, there is that. Um, Oops. Uh, whoops. Was that out loud? Um, May 7th, uh, Owen Hart would have been 55 years old. I'm sorry. Um, he would have been 57. I apologize. Um, May 9th, 1975. Um, no, strike that. Sorry. Uh, May 9th. We're on May 9th. Um, Nineteen eighty-seven, uh, two months after WrestleMania, after maybe many consider the greatest WrestleMania match of all time, 
Ricky Steamboat defended the Intercontinental Championship against Randy Savage in St. Louis, Missouri. For everyone that witnessed this match, and from pen pals that I had and a couple eyewitness reports, Ricky Steamboat defended the Intercontinental Championship against Randy Savage in a steel cage, and many considered the greatest cage match anyone had ever seen. Took whatever they did at the Silver Dome, times that by 10, and then put them around a steel cage. Uh, at one point, Savage had climbed out, and and Steamboat grabbed him and, and grabbed Savage by the hair. And then Savage, and they were at the top of the cage, Savage was frailing his arms, and he let go. So he was waving his arms like this, and the only per thing holding him up was Ricky Steamboat holding his hair. And this was seen by only 2,300 fans in St. Louis. It is in an NWA territory, but they were witnessing the greatest cage match anyone had ever seen. Uh, but it took place uh, May 9th, 1987. Um, but that it was never, it wasn't taped. There were, I've seen pictures of it, um, still photos, but even the fo photos were exciting, but nothing compared to what we actually saw there. But, um, yeah, many consider that, that match even better than their, their WrestleMania three match. Uh, May 10th, 1985, the very first Saturday night's main event taped in Uniondale, New York. Um, Hogan versus Orton when Roddy Piper interfered. Mr. T was there. Uh, Paul Orndorff completed his face turn um, when Piper wanted to interview him about what happened at WrestleMania, and Mr. T came out for the save. Uh, another face turn that happened was the uh, six-man tag team match between Barry Windham, Mike Rotundo, and Ricky Steamboat against Iron Sheik, Nikolai Volkov, and George the Animal Steel, or George Steele turned on his partners, and it was saved by Captain Lou Albano. Uh, but that was the very first um, Saturday night's main event, May 10th, 1985. Where are we going now? Um, the day that happens after the 10th. Yes. Um, forward. And turn. Forward. <laughs> May 13th. Uh, you know, May 6th, 1984. The NWA title changed hands by a young, up-and-coming Kerry Von Erich. One week later, the AWA Heavyweight Championship would change hands by a young up-and-comer. Hard to believe uh, that it happened, but it did. Uh, Rick Martel defeated Jumbo Saruta to become the AWA Heavyweight Champion. Uh, Rick Martel, the model... The um, other guy in Strike Force, uh, but he was the world champion of the, the second. Other company. guy in But can you believe that after he left, he, this man was the AWA Heavyweight Champion? Yeah, yeah. And then he was part of the Can Am Connection, and then Strike Force, and he was a model. But this man was the world heavyweight champion of the second largest regional, as far as like state, the second largest company. In North America, he was a he was the AWA heavyweight champion. 
Um, and, it, and, he, and it looked like that they were poising him to at least get a mid-card title run and carry a belt again in WCW in 98 and he tore his knee and it was over. Yeah. Well, Bischoff knew, you know, because he worked yeah. at AWA. Hey. Guy's a legend. Never gets talked about enough as far as wrestling. Everybody remembers the model, but I'm like, the dude was world class. The dude, no was, pun intended. No, the dude was a world heavyweight champion uh, for the AWA, and the dude was the dude, uh, someone who could work with every. You need Sorry. a you need a baby face, smiling, handsome baby face. It's Rick Martel. Um, the model thing was just was Vince preying on what he already saw. Damn, this guy's good looking. He's always in shape, stays in shape. Um, started wrestling again when he was 18, 19, and uh paid his dues. Tough guy. He's never gonna doesn't get tired. He's everything you want in a in a main event babyface. Uh why Vern liked him because of his pedigree, because he was that guy. He he was trained the right way. Uh and wrestled the right way and he was a Vern guy as opposed to a Hulk Hogan um, who was not a Vern creation and but the putting of the world championship on Rick Martel yeah that was a no brainer uh, for for Vern because of who Rick Martel was Stan Hansen was another guy that loved Rick Martel Rick Martel once beat Stan Hansen in nine seconds um, when they were both wrestled in Texas and Hanson still talks about it. Uh, so I guess in order to appease him, Rick Martel would later drop the AWA belt to Stan Hansen. But those they had a but they still have a long-standing uh, friendship. But Rick Martel, uh, for those of you just remember him as a model and his scent of arrogance, was the world heavyweight champion for the AWA, and he's always has been uh, a, a damn good wrestler. Don't get me wrong. The model was awesome. Every yeah. I hated that son of a bitch. However, you know, you get older because, you know, before you could just look it up on YouTube or search Google or Bing if you use that. Why? Um, <laughs> it's like the model was awesome to hate. You're like, oh, I got it. want somebody to shove that can of spray up his ass. Uh, then you find out later. Oh. Okay, well that's well that's why, yeah. <laughs> that's why he had that job. Got it. <laughs> and GM Spectre said uh, Rick Martel's WCW run run was pretty cool. I just wish it ended differently. Yeah, so does he. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure he does too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that really hurt. <laughs> that really hurt. Uh, yeah, and Rick. Uh, he was also um one of the guys that um he and Dino Bravo were were close. Um, yeah, they they were tag team champions, and he's one of the people that spoke openly about uh Dino Bravo at the at the time of his murder uh because he was one of the few people that was still in touch with Dino um Dino Bravo after he had left wrestling um after his last days in in the in the WWF he didn't want to go to WCW or he didn't like the way that he would probably be, be used there because WCW at that point was getting pretty crowded with former WWF guys and it was hard enough um to find a spot for them uh, let alone, you know, getting a good, you know, as far as being getting a push, that wasn't going to happen unless WCW Russell had all their cards in Canada where he was still a big name. Uh, but yeah, Rick Martel uh, uh, and Dino Bravo were uh, still very close um, up until his 
up until his death. But he's murdered. He's murdered. Sorry. Uh, no, I, 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 you know. Yes. Uh, uh, yeah. Same. Um, I said Dino uh, up until Dino Bravo's death. Uh, Dino Bravo was tied to a chair and shot fifty-seven times. Yeah, um, yeah. So they and, had to shoot him fifty-seven times. Yeah, and yeah. and that yeah, and that's how he died. So yeah, Dino. Yeah. I say Dino Bravo's death. That was the, his cause of death was uh, multiple uh, lead poisoning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't self-inflicted. No. Um, May sixteenth. Um, we said good May sixteenth, nineteen eighty-four. I remember uh, this date. Um, because I thought it was a joke and I couldn't believe it. Um, but uh, one of the the latest entry into the WWE Hall of Fame um, died on May 16th, 1984. And he died of lung cancer, which is why I thought it was a joke, uh, because this guy never smoked and detested cigarette smoke as it was. But the news was indeed the truth. May 16th, 1984, uh, was the death of Andy Kaufman. Um, oh, and, God, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And because it's such a tribute to Andy Kaufman and his never-ending... Is it real? Is this a shtick? Uh, even when he died, again, of lung cancer, and this is someone who never smoked a day in his life... Um thought this was the ultimate rib and um and the ending to the movie man in the moon certainly didn't help uh dispel that rumor at all great ending though great ending um but uh yeah so we said goodbye to um uh at the time maybe the the most famous uh wrestling fan of all time well yeah uh It's funny because when you're a fan these days and you try to get involved, you stay on that side of the guardrail. And Andy Kaufman would have told you to go kiss, uh, kiss my ass. Because mm-hmm. um, there is a guy that was a fan, but there was a guy we don't. We're not going to get length about it because we just did this a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, probably top five, if not top two, greatest angles in wrestling history was yeah. part of it. He orchestrated it. He was the main driver behind it with its other. Main component, Jerry the King Lawler. Um, and I've said it before and I say again, I don't think the man was very funny. I don't get Andy Kaufman. I never got it. The movie's fantastic. It's a shame Jim Carrey was kind of a dick on that set. I respect Andy Kaufman and what he uh, what he meant to comedy and the industry. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I don't get it, but I know enough to know I'm obviously missing something because... Andy Kaufman was Andy Kaufman. You know what I'm saying? Yes. However, one of the best wrestling heels ever. Ever. <laughs> ever. Period. Ever. End of sentence. Dan. And one of the greatest angles, continuous angle. He was pretty much trolling the all, all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, there's some of it I got, but most of it, meh, I, I get it, GM. Um. Well, apparently I don't. Um. <laughs> but the thing went on for years. Those two yeah. made so much money. Yeah. And I I knew more about his wrestling career mm-hmm. before I knew who Andy Kaufman actually was because that documentary ran on Comedy Central in the early days so many times. And the greatest moment, arguably, on the David Letterman show. Yeah. <laughs> like, arguably, 
so much so and so much the fact that Dave wasn't involved in it that he never showed it again. He was still upset about it. Mm-hmm. I, that's a win. Yeah. All these wrestlers talk about work. Ya, gotcha. No, no, you're not Andy Kaufman. Try again. No, mm-hmm. don't think so. I don't know who you think you are, but you're not Andy. And, and we'll see my experience, Dan, because I did grow up watching Andy Kaufman. I knew how funny he was because the character he played on Taxi, that was when I saw him do stand-up. He was dead. Yeah. And it was a character he called Foreign Man. It didn't even have a name. So he would come on. Um, Thank you very much. Mike, exactly. He would come on Mike Douglas and he would do it. It's like, I now I could do the impressions of the Archie Bunker. Uh, you would getting <laughs> but then Dan he would go to the panel and he'd still be in character. So yes. like he would so like they bring it on another guest, and like I think they brought on Larry Zonka once and well oh, jeez. Um, well, there's and, a bunch of brain cells. But then um, you know, he was talking about you know hitting a guy and 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 he would you know get what did it mean to hitting that you so you you do the tackling and then the man he get he get up or he sit down and everyone's laughing i thought that because i didn't know is is I, you thought that was him i thought that was him and then he yeah. did get on on um on taxi but only when he did serenade live when he did he break when he said when he was going to read the great gatsby to everyone it's like oh that's who he Okay, I did like the whole thing with the Mighty Mouse song. I don't know yes. why that was what got me, but that that made me laugh because it was so <laughs> simple, Dan. He it was. Yeah, he was on the very first episode of Saturday Night Live, and they overbooked because they didn't know if it was going to work. Uh, they had George Carlin. They had two musical guests. They couldn't get Stevie Wonder and Carol King, so they got Billy Preston and Janice in. Uh, they had. Oh, what a shame. And they booked Billy Crystal and Andy Kaufman, but uh, they had to bump Billy Crystal, and so they kept Andy Kaufman, and he just put on a 45 of the Mighty Mouse theme and just sang the chorus. And that's all. He never said a word. And it was hysterical. The the fans, and he was he was made. And he after that, he wrote his own ticket. Did it, took a bow, walked out. That was it, Andy Kaufman. And that was it. Never said a word. And it was fucking brilliant. And it's like, and that's, and who was that? And so, because he never said anything on the Mighty Mouse thing, and then he started doing the foreign man character, I thought, okay, that's how he really talks. But that's You're how so Andy Kaufman, yeah, everybody's so stupid. But that's how Andy Kaufman got me. That's how he reeled me in. So then I was hooked. So whatever he was doing, and I found that he got it was on Taxi, which was a great show without Andy Kaufman. Um. Uh, because it was that funny, Danny DeVito, and was his that was his big break, and you know everyone, and just it was a top five show, and top five kids in nineteen uh, seventy eight to eighty eighty two before cable TV, there are only three networks, so you were watching one of the three networks. So Taxi was putting was pulling in thirty to thirty two million viewers every week. Okay, no one watches thirty two million. No, there's no not one show on right now that 32 million people watch every week. Taxi was doing that every year, every season. So Andy Kaufman, as much as he bragged about it, was a star. He was a talent. He was on the top five show on network TV. 
32 million people every week were watching him. So when he comes down to Memphis, Tennessee, he wasn't the what got under people's skin was him saying exactly who he is. I'm a television star. Because he was. He wasn't he wasn't the star of that show, but he was a star on that show. So, but again, one of the greatest heels in wrestling history, and certainly uh, a great heel, one of the greatest heels in Memphis wrestling history. Gian Spector says, I remember the days of the TV down and antenna. Yeah, so do I. Yeah. <laughs> I'm old. I'm proud of that. I'm alive still. Relax. Yes. I, you know how many summers I watched the Phillies games on a little black and white television that when you turned it off went. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things I do on my show, Dan, was when I watched the Phillies win their first World Series in 1980 was on a black and white set. So I had to adjust it with one hand and keep my leg up to get reception because as soon as I let go, it would get all the street would go. Yeah. yeah. So, yes, I know that. Um, so but any my antenna had to against it had to be exactly against the wall at the mm -hmm. right pressure in the apartment mom and I had, or it would be static. If I just, just touched it like that. And the TVs you know. back, oh, yeah. And the TVs back then were magical because not only did it have to be against the wall, but how you moved about the room affected the reception. So if you went to sit down, it was fuzzy, but if you stood back up, it was fine. So yeah, TV was magical back then. Uh, we were talking about Andy Kaufman and being the greatest, most popular, most famous wrestling fan of all time, his love for wrestling started at a young age. In fact, it started May 17th. How's this for a segue? May 17th, 1963. 60 years ago this month, the single greatest moment in the history of the World Wrestling Federation occurred. May 17th, 1963, in the old Madison Square Garden, in 48 seconds, the original Nature Boy, Buddy Rogers, gave up to a backbreaker administered by the Italian strongman from Abruzzi, Italy, Bruno Sammartino. So on May 17th, 1963, in front of 19,000 639 fans, a crowned the new WWWF heavyweight champion, Bruno Sammartino, who would hold that belt for the next seven years, 11 months, and three weeks. And as far as getting uh, beaten by a uh, backbreaker to a nicer guy, it couldn't happen. It could not have happened. But I bring that up. That segue because in the audience, Dan was a young Andy Kaufman. He witnessed Buddy Rogers' defeat. So when you saw Andy Kaufman, and going back to him for a second, the strut that he did and the pointing, that was Buddy Rogers. He was imitating Buddy Rogers. The Buddy the, the Buddy Rogers strut that he had when he came in the ring, or even when he went to bounce off the ropes and he wouldn't. Engage with his opponent. He, I've got the brains. Uh, but it, it started May 17th, 1963, and it started 
the longest reign of any professional wrestling champion in the history of professional wrestling. Um, a streak that, despite the countdown, uh, and despite the the uh, the greatness of Roman Reigns, uh, will never be broken. Um, that's because we don't have patience for it. Two yeah. years later, this deputy sucks. I want to boycott this company. You know what? We'll just create another belt for you. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> great. The uh, the reign of uh, the great Bruno Sammartino started May 17th, uh, 1963. And a young Andy Kaufman was in the audience for that match. Um, May 18th, 1984, I mentioned that uh, Terry Von Erich had won the NWA Heavyweight Championship on May 6th. Uh, well, on May 18th, uh, making the rounds as the NWA champion, because when you were the NWA champion, you had to travel. So he couldn't just stay in Texas. He went to, uh, to Florida on a May 18th, 1984, Kerry Von Erich defended the NWA Heavyweight Championship by defeating superstar Billy Graham in Lake City, Florida. This is well. We'll have more about. We'll, we'll have more Billy about Graham that later. This program later on this program later on this program. Uh, we'll see. Uh, Superstar Billy Graham. Uh, May 20th, happy belated 53rd birthday to um, the last remaining Armstrong. No, um, the most famous of the Armstrong, Brian James Armstrong. Happy uh, 53rd birthday, belated 53rd birthday to the road dog, Jesse James. How did we get stuck with him as the most famous Armstrong? I don't know. Uh, oh. I always thought Brad would have made an awesome horseman. Brad was the best of the Armstrongs as far as in in ring talent. Uh, Steve uh, was the best athlete. Uh, Scott um, was the best referee. Um, <laughs> uh, Bob was all, the best dad. Yeah, but all of them, you know, you put them together, they make a Bob Armstrong because Bob Armstrong he had had everything. He had the look, he had the promo, he had the work. Uh, he had longevity, the, the jet longevity, and the and the body. Uh, Brad was uh, I just had the best. He was he was the best, obviously best in ring worker. Um, I thought he had should have had more time on the mic. Uh, I thought he had a great promo. As much as I say he would, I would have loved to have seen him as a horseman, uh, only because he knew the guy so well. Um, he knew Rick, and uh, he and Arn, uh, Arn was trained by his dad, and he spent a great deal of time in uh, in Alabama, in Dolphin, Alabama, where uh, Arn got a start in the Southeastern um, Championship Wrestling, where uh, that piece that Bob owned. Um, so he was familiar with all those guys, but uh, the horsemen, I keep forgetting, um, those guys lived the gimmick, uh, and that wasn't Brad. Um, Arn wasn't a partier before he got to became a horseman, but it didn't take him long to uh, turn into that. Uh, same thing with Tully, 
uh, but Arn, Tully, Rick, uh, and Oli, and then Lex after that, they live the gimmick. Um, and Luger was just so young and green, he could be molded like clay uh, to do, you know, whatever. But Brad wasn't that guy. I think Brad would have made a great horseman in the ring, but as far as living that lifestyle, he wasn't Armstrong, and Armstrongs were always, they were clean, cut, you know, babyface guys. And Brad Armstrong was like the, um, was like Dean Malenko. Great in the locker room, guys, crack up guys, but it didn't translate in front of the camera. You know, uh, Brad was a guy that everyone liked and everyone could work with anyone. Great in the ring as the Armstrong curse, you know, because he was so good, he wasn't given a, a great push. But uh, Road Dog had to rap. That's the one thing he he never had. He didn't have the body of uh, or the work of Brad. Uh, he didn't have the body or the high flying ability of Steve. But one thing he could do was talk, and um, he was the best at it. And he became the most popular Armstrong of all time. So happy belated birthday. Uh, to the road dog Jesse James, and uh, that intro that kids are still doing to this day, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Um, not gonna go into it, but um, I will say though that he is one half of the most overrated tag team of all time, the New Age Outlaws. Kids, I'm sorry, they were shit. Um, yeah, but they have, and they both have jobs still because of it, <laughs> and because of that, yes. But yeah, my favorite tag team, New Age Outlaws. Name one name name their finishing move. If they were such a great tag team, what was their what was their move? Well, I know there I know that Road Dog had the pump handle slam and uh, the famouser head scissor slam, whatever the hell it was called. Yeah. Uh their tag team move, uh uh, uh jobbing. Yeah, because they didn't have one. That's why they were that's why they were sucky tag. They were two great oh, really over talents that had a catchy that had a good catchphrase, but Greatest tag team of all time, or one of the great tag teams of all time? No. Uh, speaking of great tag teams of all time, or one of the great tag teams of all time, or they weren't. Neither none of these four people were. But May nineteenth, nineteen ninety six. Go back to Madison Square Garden. Um, Hunter Hearst Helmsley defeated Razor Ramon. Uh, and that same night, uh, the main event. Shawn Michaels uh, defended the WWF Heavyweight Championship against Diesel in a steel cage. And that was the night of the curtain call. May 19th, 1996. It apparently made Jim Cornette really, really angry. Yes, I would have fired all of them. Uh Uh-huh. And there goes all your money. Yeah. Okay, Jim. Okay, Jim. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I know. I'm, and and uh, Hunter paid the price. Still the only one. Um, yep. Couldn't punish Sean. But yeah, you could. Why not? <laughs> uh, and Scott and Kevin are leaving. <laughs> GM. <laughs> what does it make him angry? Uh, uh, cucking, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> that makes him very happy being a cuck. Uh, May 21st. Hey, buddy, you want to fuck my wife? No, thank you. Hmm. I'm good. May 21st, 1985. Um, how 
huge wrestling was still in the in the mid eighties. I talked about the beginning of the historian, May 6, nineteen eighty four, all these great cards that happened all across the country in the AWA and the NWA. Uh well, May twenty first, nineteen eighty five was the sixtieth anniversary card in Portland, Oregon for the great Don Owens. Don Owen, uh one of the great promoters uh, of all time, I talked about uh, promoters that were always in good stand with the NWA. Fritz was one. Eddie Graham was one. Um, Jim Barnett. And they were rewarded with heavyweight champions. Don Owen never got that treatment. Uh, none of his guys uh, ever won a world championship. But he was responsible for starting the careers of some of the greatest wrestlers, most popular wrestlers of all time. Uh, so many people got their starts there. Roddy Piper, Jimmy Snuka, Buddy Rose, Jesse Ventura, the Iron Sheik, uh, all got their big breaks in, uh, thanks to Don Owen. And so much so that even if they were wrestling for another company, they could always come back. Roddy Piper said to Vince McMahon, while he was the top heel in the WWF during his, this is the, the year of WrestleMania, he would still make Shots for Don Owen. And case in point, May 21st, 1985. Roddy Piper, this is two months after WrestleMania, after the first WrestleMania where he saw that Madison Garden as the biggest heel in the company, came back to Portland, Oregon to wrestle Playboy Buddy Rose, his the biggest rival in Portland when he was there. Buddy Rose was wrestling in the AWA at the time. So he had a WWF wrestler wrestling an AWA wrestler on an NWA card in an NWA territory. Uh, but that was the power of Don Owen. Uh, also on that card, the AWA tag team champions, the Road Warriors, wrestled Kurt and Larry Henning. Kurt Henning, another guy that got his start in uh, under Don Owen in the Pacific Northwest Territory. Kurt and Larry Henning were the first father and son tag team champions, one of the first father and son tag team champions in wrestling history. Uh, but that happened in the Pacific Northwest. The AWA heavyweight champion, Rick Martell. Portland? Portland. Oh, Portland. 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 Yes. Portland. <laughs> Don Owens, Northwest, the Pacific Northwest heavyweight champion was Mean Mike Miller, and he took on uh, the AWA champion, Rick Martell. Not to be outdone, the most popular wrestler in the Pacific Northwest at the time was Billy Jack. And he went to a 45-minute draw with the NWA heavyweight champion, Ric Flair. So on one card in the NWA, you had the AWA tag team champions, the AWA heavyweight champion, the NWA heavyweight champion, and the number one heel in the WWF all on the same card in Portland for Don Owen's 60th anniversary. And hold on, hold on. Still, still going, still going. I have to say to Badash, I had no idea that tidbit about Portland. I wasn't, uh, how am I supposed to know that? Let's not mention uh, that place again, please. Not mention Portland. Right. No, 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 seriously, don't. 
yeah don't mention that that word uh, i'm an asshole now apparently because i didn't know something or remember something so fuck me i guess okay did i do something wrong no we uh, technically not i just didn't know a piece of information about portland yeah so please stop saying the word please okay <laughs> please thank you sorry just today today we're good i just Right now I feel like utter garbage. I didn't know. Good. Con- no continue. Shit. Okay. Uh, yeah, you know I couldn't feel any lower, but you know, just bury me. I will not bury you. Uh, not until you tell a bad joke, and then I will bury you. Um, but on May twenty fourth today of all days, the Kerry Von Erich and Everway Championship reign comes to an end in Japan. Uh, where he would lose to Ric Flair in a reverse roll-up, um, not unlike a backslide, and Ric Flair would regain the NWA Heavyweight Championship. You know, there's two things Rick's got to stop doing. Uh, stop being a rapist and stop getting on his back. <laughs> first work. one first. <laughs> work on the second one later. <laughs> I remember when this happened. I read about it in... Uh, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, um, how Kerry Von Erich only held the NWA title for 18 days. Uh, he made um, 12 title defenses, um, did a tour of Florida, um, wrestled um, the best wrestlers in Florida, uh, Black Bart, the aforementioned superstar Billy Graham, even wrestled Mike Rotunda in a baby face. The greatest ever! Yeah, uh, but Mike Rotundo was the first guy to ever have uh, consecutive NWA title shots. Mike Rotundo is the only one that can say he wrestled Ric Flair, Harley Race, and Kerry Von Erich for the NWA title. Um, and some were wondering why Flair, why Kerry didn't get a longer reign. Uh, same reason Kerry didn't get a lot of uh, proper treatment because of... Um, his penchant for being unreliable. Um, they're saying even he, he held the NWA title uh, for 18 days, but he still missed some dates. Hmm. So uh, he wasn't the guy. Uh, that's why, you know, so many looked at David as uh, the, the possible NWA champion because he didn't have uh, those bad habits. Issues, yeah. Issues. Uh, some would refute that, you know, because of the way he died. Um, and drug overdose or... Um, Listen, you can do drugs and still be on time. Yeah. 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 Look at Lenny Bruce. Um, but, uh, so, Carrie's reign was over and um, never regained it. Um, had some great rematches with, uh, with Rick. Um and they always had great matches. Um, Flair would say in his book that he had never had any problem wrestling Kerry. Uh, the problem with Kerry, same thing that Jerry Lower said, he was always impaired, um, which is why uh, Flair's role ended uh, with a backslide. Because in Flair's words, that's something even Kerry couldn't mess up. So we did it like that. Uh, but Kerry's... Uh, Reign uh, his NWA title reign would end, and um, but he'll always be remembered as the world heavyweight champion, and that was the zenith of the uh, the Von Erich uh dynasty. 
was him being the NWA champion. And it ended on this date, uh, 1984. Uh, must be a thing for the NWA title because uh, also on this same date, May 24th, uh, 1973, so this was 50 years ago today, uh, Harley Race defeated Dory Funk Jr. to win his first ever NWA championship. And he won it with a vertical suplex over the great Dory Funk Jr. Um, Dory Funk at the time had the was having the biggest feud in wrestling with uh, Jack Briscoe. And many speculated they went to several, many one-hour draws uh, between Florida and Texas. And uh, many expected Jack to lose the belt or Jack to win the belt from Dory Funk Jr. Um, because NWA would want a Jack to be champion. Dory knew it. Dory, who had been champion for four years, um, needed a break. And um, said, okay, well, drop the belt to Jack. Okay, I just, I'm not, I'm not going to do it in Texas. Um, this is the NWA president saying this. Um, yeah, but uh, Dory, um, we can't. This is you. You want to? We're in Texas, so you. Uh, you don't want to? Can you drop it to Jack in Florida? No, I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna give the hometown. So, <laughs> Harley Race won the title from Dory Funk Jr. in Kansas City, and would later lose about fifty-four days later to Jack Briscoe, and of all places, Texas. So. Uh, Harley Race would win the NWA championship 50 years ago today and would at the time be the shortest reigning NWA champion of all time, holding the belt 54 days after winning it today, May 24th, 1973, 50 years ago today. And that, gentlemen and ladies, is the wrestling historian. There you go. Um, and really, we're going to stay on the history part of it because, uh, Literally, wrestling history changed with this man. There was wrestling before Superstar Billy Graham and wrestling after. Everything, the, the, the amount of wrestlers that ripped this guy off, and I mean that in a matter-of-factly, um, not like, oh, they ripped him off. Everybody took a cue from this man. I, that's how I should say it. Um, superstar Billy Graham died uh, last week, and again, argue not even arguably the man, the man that everyone took a cue from. Yeah, you know, uh, it's when we since we've had this podcast, there's few people that we talk about in reverence while they were still here. You know, uh, we talked about their greatness when they were alive, like Bobby Heenan, you know, Bobby Eaton. The superstar Billy Graham was one, too, that I've said many times on this very podcast. He's the most influential wrestler of my generation because the definition of a trailblazer is who did it before superstar Billy Graham? Nobody. Who did it after superstar Billy Graham? Everybody. Everybody. Yep. He's like Tiger Mask. You know, who did it before? Nobody. Who did it after him? Everyone was doing backflips off the top rope, moonsaults, 619s, spinning back kicks, 
Before Tiger Mask, nobody. After Tiger Mask, everybody. Superstar Billy Graham, the first guy to come in the ring and rip off his shirt. Wonder where Hogan got that from. First Who guy knows? to refer to his arms as pythons. Wonder where Hogan got that from. First guy to come in the ring wearing feather boas. Where did Jesse Ventura get that from? Ty dyed his beard. Where did Scott Steiner get that from? The muscles, the poses. Superstar Billy Graham was the spectacle. He's the reason um, why Vince McMahon calls his wrestlers superstars now and not wrestlers. Because superstar Billy Graham never called him, quantified himself as a wrestler. He was superstar. And with all due respect to Bill Dundee and the mass superstar, uh, great great careers that they had, and they were referred to as the superstar by their local announcers. There's only one superstar, and that was Billy Graham. Growing up in Philly in the Northeast, I got to see Superstar during the 70s when he'd come to uh, the WWF because as part of the quote-unquote Graham family, they had a long history with the WWF. Um, The Graham brothers, Dr. Jerry and Eddie, were Vince McMahon Jr.'s favorite tag team. And he made Vince McMahon Sr. a lot of money. The Graham brothers were the most over tag team of the 60s. Um, the the bleach blonde hair, the roughhouse tactics, they were they were it. And every other team copied them. Um Stevenson Patterson, uh the Hells Angels, um, the Grand Brothers, uh, the Valiant Brothers were just the 70s versions of the Grand Brothers. Uh but Dr. Jerry um brought in his youngest brother Billy and uh superstar Billy Graham started his career in the uh, early 70s. And in the AWA, uh, there have been guys that were great bodies and were muscle that, you know, but Superstar was the only one that could have it, that had that body and the charisma to rap, to match and the rap and the talk. The way I'm talking to you right now, um, Ric Flair, Dusty, um, Dusty in the AWA, the early years in the AWA teamed up with Superstar Billy Graham. That's where their friendship began. And the, when when he does the man of the hour, the man with the power, too sweet to be sour. That was Superstars rap. There was no cable TV back then, so you couldn't tell. But if Superstar was saying it in Minneapolis, and Dusty says it in Florida. If you weren't in Minneapolis, you didn't hear it. So Dusty's saying that's the first time you heard that. Wow, this Dusty guy is great. Superstar did it first. When Superstar would come on TV in the Northeast and uh, challenge Bruno... It was superstar Ivan Koloff and Ernie Ladd that went to Vince's dad and made the deal to make them the highest paid wrestlers. They get main event money whenever they wrestle in Madison Square Garden, whether they were wrestling Bruno or not, on the in the main event or not. Ivan Koloff, Ernie Ladd, and superstar Billy Graham got main event money every time they appeared in Madison Square Garden for all the money that they drew wrestling against Bruno and wrestling in Madison Square Garden, they brokered that deal um, with Vince and no other heels ever got that deal um, because of the drawing power that they had. And superstar Billy Graham was a guy that drew money. And when he, April 30th, 1977, which I make a point of every year, 
on my Facebook page, on this podcast, on wrestling, other wrestling sites, April 30th, 1977, the date that changed wrestling history. I just said in The Historian, May 17th, 1963, the most important day, Bruno Sammartino became champion. Second most important day, April 30th, 1977, when superstar Billy Graham beat Bruno to become the world heavyweight champion. I cried. I was 10. My hero had been beaten. Uh, I'd seen Superstar on TV do his rap, talk about it. He was coming to get Bruno San Martino, take the belt, and put it around my beautiful body. While Superstar would pose for the camera and the Grand Wizard would be behind him, and Superstar would say, and you look at my beautiful body right now, you little twisted steel and sex appeal. And if you're looking at me on a black and white set, I want you to go outside, find a brick, break it, break down the store, grab a color TV set so you can see my beautiful body in living technicolor. Um, and, <laughs> and encouraging larceny, so you can. I was see... just say you can't say that anymore. You're just no. encouraging thief, 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 thief. <laughs> go out there and be a criminal. I don't yeah. care. Get arrested. <laughs> just so meanwhile, can... <laughs> Mean Gene's like, kids, get your parents' permission to call. <laughs> <laughs> Billy's like, go get that TV. Fuck him. Get your TV so you can see my. Go get a color TV so you can see my beautiful body in Technicolor. <laughs> and when and when Superstar won the belt in Baltimore, um, and uh, he was told, and this is a story that you know, uh, he was told by Vince Senior, um, because Bruno had had enough. Um, he was still coming off the broken neck he received from Stan Hansen. Um, he was on his third year as he was his third year as champion the second time he held the belt here, but he won it out. Um, and um, it wasn't Bruno who, who picked Billy, you know, he was fine with you know Ernie or Ivan Koloff, and but Vince Sr., um, the how about how about Billy and Bruno was fine with it. Um, so didn't want to do it in Madison Square Garden, didn't want to do it in Pittsburgh, didn't want to do it in Philly, stronghold, so they picked Baltimore, and the way superstar Billy Graham has told the story, and I've heard, saw this interview over and over again, uh, Vince Sr. called him and told him he was getting the belt, and they gave him a start date and an end date. You're going to win the belt on this date, and we're going to lose it on this date, and he was like, just hearing that he was going to get the belt off of Bruno. That was all fine. Um, and he thought he'd go to Baltimore and thought it was a house show. But there's lights, there's a camera crew, there's so this wasn't he knew something was going to happen and he was afraid that was going to tip off the crowd. And what we know now, it wasn't going to tip off anything because Bruno wasn't going to lose. Bruno had beaten Superstar, he'd beaten everyone up. So why would this be any different? Uh, Graham bled for the man, like Billy always did, but grabbed Bruno's legs and put his feet on the ropes, and the referee counted to three. Vince McMahon Sr., who was on the in the front row to witness that she wanted to see it happen, uh, didn't think there was going to be any chicanery, but uh, it was so dark. They... The, and everyone was so surprised by what happened. After the matches, kids, it would be dark except for the ring lights. But when the match was over, 
they turn on the house lights after every match. Because everyone was so shocked by what happened, a guy forgot to turn on the house lights. So when Billy got the belt, he rolled out of the ring and he was walking back blind. So he couldn't see exactly where he was going. All he could see was people coming at him because it was real. They had announced that Billy Graham had won. They had given him the belt, Bruno's belt. And he said he fought back. He, he was first waving around like Seth Rollins did. But then he wrapped the belt around his hand and was beating people off to get out, <laughs> get back to his dressing that's room. That's pretty hot, man. He's just beating yeah. people off. As they, yeah, that's crazy. With the with a belt, even even more. Uh, but took a that shower. That doesn't feel good. Yeah. Got a cab and left. And that wasn't the, it was the main event, but that was the, the fourth match of the night. There were other matches going on. And Billy usually oh, nobody gave it. Nobody yeah. cared after that. <laughs> but Billy got a cab and drove and got and just drove um to the hotel. Um, but the era of the superstar had begun. And Billy Graham sold out every arena he wrestled in as WWF champion. And not just in the Northeast, in Florida, in Texas. In St. Louis, he wrestled Harley Race for the NWA Championship in the Orange Dome, in the Orange Bowl, for the first Super Bowl of wrestling. And he wrestled in the Spectrum and sold out the Spectrum every time. And I was there for every title defense against Chief J. Strongbow, Tony Gurria, Larry Zabisco. Everyone wanted to see this man get beat. Or just someone put a beating on him. Bully Ray showed a clip of superstar Billy Graham fighting Ivan Koloff in Madison Square Garden. And Putsky wouldn't sell the shoulder block. And the fans went nuts. Superstar went off the ropes again and hit Putsky. Putsky wouldn't move. Superstar went off the ropes again and Ivan came back with the Polish hammer. The amount of people standing and cheering was deafening because Superstar had been knocked on his ass. Dan, to tell you that it got it was just as loud in the Philadelphia Spectrum when Tony Gurria hit Superstar with a drop kick and Superstar went over the top rope. A drop kick over the top rope. People were jumping up and down, screaming their lungs out. Because they wanted to see Superstar get his his comeuppance. Didn't happen. But the fact that he was hurt, Superstar was a spectacle. Bruno was another level of popularity because you just wanted to see him. He was just, the fact that he was there meant everything was going to be okay. Superstar, you had to witness what was he going to wear how was he going to come out? Was he going to come out and go to the top rope and do the double arm bicep? Would he just come and kneel on the apron and just do the single arm? The word that comes to mind with superstar Billy Graham is flashbulbs. Kids, everyone had a camera when superstar Billy Graham was in the arena because we had to get a shot of what he looked like. There was no phones back then, so you had to go get a camera 
and take a picture of him and pictures of superstar Billy Graham on the cover of any wrestling magazine is what's sold. Because the after magazines in the 70s, he liked three things, bodies, belts, and blood. And with superstars, sometimes you can get all three. The first wrestling magazine I ever bought, the first after magazine I ever bought, was a picture of superstar Billy Graham covered in blood. Still have it because it was superstar. Watching it, watching him come to the ring, again with no music, he would sometimes come to the ring with it, holding the belt over his head. Sometimes he'd hold it with one arm up and the other with the bicep. But you had to witness it because it was a spectacle. And it could be anybody. Dusty, Mil Mascaras, Ivan Putsky, Chief J. Strongbow, Gorilla Monsoon. People paid to see Larry Zabisco. Tony Correa sold out the spectrum facing superstar Billy Graham because they wanted to see anyone beat this guy. Superstar wrestled at Mad Square Garden 20 times as champion, and he sold out Mad Square Garden 19 times. The only time he didn't was because of a blizzard. That's still the highest rate of percentage. Bruno sold it out more, but percentage was 19 out of 20 times. Graham was the main event. He sold out. No one's topping that record. Not in 10 months. Billy Graham was only champion for 10 months. He had a start date. He had an end date. If Vince Sr.'s son had been in charge, he would have held the belt a lot longer than 10 months. Because you know what? He would have already had his Hulk Hogan. He wouldn't have needed one six years later. And he would he would have looked better doing it. <laughs> he would have looked better doing it. <laughs> Leg drop. <laughs> uh, but superstar Billy Graham was the um, he like you said, Dan. He was the man. Uh, he did it first. Um, he he is someone who admittedly doesn't have a speck of athletic talent, but what he did have was charisma, rap, and a look. Like it now, seeing a guy with an body like Superstar Billy Graham, we've seen it before. No one had ever seen Superstar Billy Graham with the tie dye, with the tights, the poses. There were the 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 were the game, the promo game changed. Yes, there were there were, nobody was cutting promos like that. No, Dusty maybe, mm -hmm. Dusty and Billy changed the game. They did. And he was a heel. He was selling out. Yeah, he was, he, he, was, he was like the prickiest prick. Yeah. And the W, and you understand the WWF had never had a heel be champion for that long. Uh, Stan stayed there, held it for nine days. Ivan Koloff held it for a month and before they gave it to Pedro. Superstar was on top all of 1977 and the first half of 78. No one, he'd never been a, 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 a heel champion for that long. You turn that guy babyface, you have him, you bring in a, an Ivan Koloff, superstar, former tag team partner, have him say, I want the belt, superstar. Mm -mm. Now you got to face superstar Billy Graham going against a heel Ivan Koloff. You bring in a Nikolai Volkov. And you have the, the the foreign menace going up against Superstar. So Superstar calls 
the one man that loves the country more than me, and the one man that I could, I went to battle with, that I fought and bled with, I want as my tag team partner. Ivan Koloff and Nikolai Volkov in the main event tag team against superstar Billy Graham and Dusty Rhodes. License to print money. And this is 1978. Yeah. Um, Man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, Vince, Mc, you know, Vince McMahon Sr. working on a deal. Um, that's what you did. You had a start date, you had an end date. Uh, the superstar thinking the houses he was drawing, he was the number one box office attraction in wrestling at that time. It was it was him. I mean, you're, you're the NWA WWE champion, the NWA champion, and Andre the Giant. And not necessarily in that order, but they're the three biggest ones. But superstar without drawing both of those guys. The NWA champion at the time was Harley. Superstar was playing bigger cities. Madison Square Garden, bigger arenas, the Spectrum, Boston Garden. The only one that could compete was Andre. Um, and if, if Billy had held it longer, Andre would have come in for a title shot. That would have been instant money. But had seeing the houses he was drawing, you could have called an audible, but he didn't. And Billy went into a tailspin. He left wrestling after that. He was admittedly incredibly depressed. Um, no one had seen him. The rumor that went out that he was dead. Um, Gorilla Monsoon even wrote that in his column in the Philadelphia Journal um, that I kept because I told all my friends at school, you know, Superstar died. Couldn't believe it. There was no internet back then, so we had to believe it, folks. But he was in a self-imposed exile. And when he finally did come back, gone was the tie-dye, gone was the blonde hair, gone was the posing. In his place was black sweatpants, a karate gi, and a mustache. And Kung Fu Billy Graham had uh, uh, arrived. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> the, the second uh, thing that was ripped it, off. It was karate kung fu, and this was, but this was the superstar Billy Graham that uh, majority of wrestling fans remember, uh, especially in Florida. Uh, when I went to college in Florida, superstar Billy Graham was there uh, because Dusty was booking in Florida in 1984, and superstar was with uh, Kevin Sullivan and his family before turning face uh, and siding with his nephew Mike Graham uh to combat Kevin Sullivan's devil worshiping army. But uh one of the people that was living in Florida at the time and became influenced was from karate, from Kung Fu, Billy Graham, was a young Sean Waltman. Uh that was his first time seeing Superstar Billy Graham. Another guy was seeing Superstar Billy Graham for the first time was Tommy Dreamer. Um, he never saw the 70s superstar. He only saw karate superstar. Um, after he leaving Florida, he went to uh, the NWA, Mid-Atlantic, where guess who was booking? Dusty. Uh, at this point, superstar was bald. Uh, not the uh, no mustache, but he had the uh, the beer, 
that he dried. But he got the tie-dye back and uh, was bigger than ever. Uh, couldn't work much anymore, but he had a nice run uh, because uh, by then the NWA was packed with big-name baby faces, not just not only Dusty, uh, but Magnum, Barry Windham, uh, the Rock and Roll Express, uh, Ronnie Garvin, uh, so many got Jimmy Valiant, um, and uh, it was Jimmy and a superstar uh, teamed up to go up against the Midnight Express and to go up against Paul Jones's army. Uh, but those were the last days of Superstar in the ring. Um, he went back to the WWE again as a favorite event. Uh, the Grams had a, such a long history with the McMahons, you know, and would get chance after chance because. Uh, they love the Grams for whatever reason. Dr. Jerry who was a mental case, um, but Vince, he'd always come back, even though uh, he, Dr. Jerry is part of the worst riot in the history of Madison Square Garden. That's for any sporting event. Uh, Dr. Jerry Graham and Bruiser against Antonino Rock and uh, Miguel Perez caused um, about $88,000 worth of damage and made the front page of the New York Times having the worst riot still in the history of that place. Dick the Bruiser was banned for life from New York and Dr. Jerry was fined an untold amount of money, but um, he came back because he was Jerry Graham. Billy Graham would leave uh, the WWF and he would still get paid, but when he wasn't getting paid, that's when he would badmouth the WWF. Uh, but then he got paid again and everything all was right. And so Billy Graham came back and he was a commentator. And it's weird, even though Billy Graham is one of the best promos of all time, lousy oh. commentator. <laughs> oh, oh, geez. It's, yeah. Painful. <laughs> Never say anything because it's, it's superstar, but I'm like, yeah. But hey, just like uh, Michael Jordan, arguably the greatest basketball player of all time, great coach. Great owner? Nope. So, superstar, great promo, commentator. Um, he was also he's manager for uh, Don Morocco for a while um, uh, until he got uh, fired or let go along with they did a great purge. He was gone and Ken Patera was gone and Morocco and Dino Bravo and the rest of them. And uh, then he was back on the outs again. Um he had so many terrible health problems, uh, mostly because of the steroids that he took that he was, you know, was no secret uh, that he did. Yeah, there was even a rare interview since his passing. They showed a, a rare interview of him talking about how he was training for his upcoming battle. I'm taking anabolic steroids and I'm taking this and I'm taking. And you have to remember, Superstar started taking these when he was a bodybuilder. Um, in the sixties, uh, he didn't start his wrestling career until the early seventies when he was, uh, almost 30. So this was a long period of, uh, steroid abuse, uh, that did terrible things to his body, uh, degenerated a lot of his, uh, why his mobility was so limited later on in his career. Um, and it just ravaged his body. Uh, his mind was great. He still could talk. 
and he, he great stories and talked about his time in the WWF and his matches and uh, his beef with Bob Backlund. Um, he said what he because he did what's best for business. He dropped the belt to Bob Backlund, but at the same time he looked at him and he said, you know, because there was one match they had. Um, I think it's the rematch they had Mass Square Garden. And Bob was so excited because he just got a new robe. He couldn't wait to show his new robe at Madison Square Garden. And he wore his robe over the belt. So he come to the ring with a towel on and the robe underneath. And he said, you're the world champion. The whole thing is the belt. Why are you covering it up? Why is it why you you think and Billy's like, I can't believe he's so excited over a goddamn robe. Really? You're the world every champion. That sent him further into a tailspin of depression <laughs> because they picked this guy over me. But yeah. um I, we you know, we choose to focus on the the superstar that I fortunately remember. I'm so sorry. Uh, so many of you never got a chance to see the superstar that I saw in the seventies selling out everywhere. The, the promos he would have with a young Vince McMahon with the yellow jacket interviewing superstar. And you could see the reverence in Vince's eyes. Um, superstar Billy Graham one time was on the tomorrow show with Tom Snyder. They were talking about wrestling, um, and being a, at the time professional wrestling in 1976 was the third most popular spectator sport in the United States behind baseball and college football. Professional wrestling was third over basketball, over over the NFL, over the NBA, and the NHL. So Tom Snyder had on uh, Vince McMahon and superstar Billy Graham. And during the interview, superstar took off his shirt and just started posing. And there was a shot of that, and you just see Vince McMahon looking up in such reverence and looking at superstar Billy Graham. And he was always mesmerized by Graham. So you could see early on, this is the guy that Vince McMahon Jr. said, man, if I was running this, this would be my man. This would be my guy, which is why he was so enamored with Hulk Hogan. Uh, and why, to go back to an earlier point, when Vince take, took over the company in 1983 and looking to expand, looking for the wrestler that he could take global on that short list with not only Hulk Hogan, but Kerry Von Erich. Again, because look at the guy. That's what he always, and that penchant for muscle men, obviously took him through the 80s. Um, bigger is better and feeding Hogan monster after monster, but having big guys with muscles, what that was his, that was his thing. And height and being, you know, built, but it was all based on superstar. It all started with superstar. His reverence, his love, his admiration for superstar, um, took over. Which is why they're not wrestlers now; they're superstars. All because of Billy Graham. <laughs> I, you know, I. When when Scott Steiner first came out uh, that night or the week after turning on his brother in 98 and he came out with this same goatee and it literally said superstar across the trunks 
And I was like, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, homage. That's why they call me the superstar. No, no, Scott. No, it's not why they call you the superstar. No, no, no. that's not why. Like dead on, dead yeah. on. It was Billy. Yeah, the the chainmail, the 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 tie dyed beard. It was on Billy Graham. Hmm. Hmm. Another uh, reference. I will say, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still to this day, uh, if you are um. So Klein, I had this. I bought it the day it came out years and years ago. Uh, there is a DVD that the WWE put out about superstar Billy Graham called 20 Years Too Soon, mm-hmm. which is very well done. It's got a lot yes. of great footage, a lot of extras. Uh, and it's still available on Amazon. I know I just checked. Uh, so if anybody doesn't have it, you should. This is what we used to do before streaming, kids. Uh, grab it. <laughs> Uh, and with that being said, after a wonderful tribute to the man, mm-hmm. superstar Billy Graham, I think I didn't even mean to rhyme that. I did. <laughs> Bars. And I think that's it. For those who are watching on stream, Nerd Herders is next, folks. So don't go anywhere just yet. We have another show coming on. Uh, for HIAC, Craig, where are the good people that follow you? Uh, they can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter at Craig Lagons, C-R-A-I-G-L-I-G-G-E-O-N-S. Thank God you're here. Follow me on Twitter at DanLaw83, HICTalkRadio.com, DanLaw.tv. Look those up. Like, share, subscribe. Tell your friends. Tell your enemies. Tell Joe. Listen now. Uh, and for everybody listening to the sound of my voice and Craig's, keep it on the paper. <laughs>